so I was having a conversation uh, with a, a good friend, and she was a little bit older than I was, committed Christian, very, very thoughtful. Um, she had gone to a Christian college, and she was studying some of the words of Paul, some of the scriptures that uh, many of you through Immerse Messiah have been reading this past week. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever in my life read this much scripture in this amount of time. It's just really filling, right? So she had been actually slowed down and she was studying um, especially Paul's words regarding women, women in ministry, ordination of women, their role on a Sunday morning services, and we were talking. She was wrestling deeply, and she said, Eric, I've come to this conclusion. I think in terms of women, Paul was wrong. And, you know, I, I, was, I was younger uh, than her. I was about 22, 23, and I heard that, and, and in one sense, I could, I could get it, I could feel it. The, the scriptures that she was reading and that we had looked at together, I, I could feel her struggle and her difficulty. And, and I carried that with me, and, and I was wondering about that. And in fact, I was in a serving university as a college pastor, and we were having a retreat short time after that conversation, and there was one leader, he was older, he had been serving as a college pastor for many, many years, he just carried a lot of wisdom um, with him, and I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this conversation to him and see how he unpacks this conversation. So I was relaying, I, I co cornered him for just a second, and I was relaying this conversation, and there were two things that he said that I still remember to this day. The first thing that he said, he said, you know, Eric, as followers of Christ Jesus, as disciples, I don't think we get to say on any area, Paul was wrong. He said, I, I think because Paul's words are not just Paul's words, right? Paul's words are in the sacred canon of scripture that as Christians, we're deciding and believing that the Bible is not just some sacred text that was really the creation of men. Yes, men and possibly women were, were people of their time and context and perspective, but we believe as followers of Christ, we know Christ's words regarding scripture. We know how, how Christ elevated the word of God, and we've made that decision. We might not always understand what scripture says, especially particular verses, and yet we hold it as God's self-revelation to you and I, if we're followers of Christ. That we hold that as the foundation of how we understand what is right and wrong, as the foundation of, of truth and falsehood, and that we hold scripture as the measure and what I mean by measure is that we hear all sorts of would-be truth statements from all over. 
Sometimes it's from culture. Sometimes it's from media. Sometimes it's from people in authority over us. Sometimes it's friends and family. Sometimes we hear these statements from our own heart and mind, right? And what's the measure of truth? The self-revelation of God, the scriptures. I was meeting with another couple not too long ago, and they were really wrestling uh, with me over uh, LGBT issues. We're processing together, and they were sharing their hearts, dear couple, lovely couple, and, uh, and they, one statement was this, I, I can articulate what I believe from here, but I can't articulate it from here. And with as much love as I could muster, I said, I hear you, I understand you, but I can't join you. I can't join you. This has got to be the foundation and the measure of everything I believe about God, about the gospel, about myself, about who I am, about my relationships, my family, my marriage, about this world and the timing of this world. I can't, I will hear, I will listen to personal stories and testimony. I will wrestle with science and our understanding from that reason and philosophy, all that, yes, yes, yes. Let's hear that, let's understand that, let's look at that and yet the measure of all those truth statements has got to be here. My friend said one other thing. Not only did he say, I I don't think we get to say that as Christians, but he said, there's quite a bit of echo here. I'm gonna see if I can turn this and see if that would help. Yeah, maybe. All right. Is that better? I think so. Um, the other thing he said is, Eric, you know, I'm not so sure that what your friend thinks Paul is saying is actually what he's saying. I'm not so sure that what your friend and I was wrestling with, you think that Paul is saying, I'm not really sure if, if he's really saying that. And really that launched a time where I did two things. As, as I knew that I was going to hold scripture, I made the decision that it would be my foundation, that it would be my measure, it would, my, would be my lens, but also that I get to study. I get to wrestle. I get to ask questions. I get to to dig deep and say, God, I don't get this. God, why is this here? God, help me understand. God, this doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right to me. That I get to press in deeply because there are some things that I really don't understand. Even in this reading of Immerse as we're going, there were some verses I'm like, boy, I know I studied that somewhere, but what in the world is going on there? Do you have any of that experience? Some of you have told me you've been having that experience. 
In fact, I love this passage of scripture. This is 1 Peter 3, 16. Have that on the screens. This is the apostle Peter talking about Paul's letters. It's, he says, his letters, Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, I, I find that comforting in one sense because Peter was of the same ethnic background as Paul. He was of the same time period. He was of the same cultural context. And he's having struggle understanding some of what Paul wrote, right? And yet now, us, 2,000 years later, we're having some of that struggle. What I'd like to do this morning, I'm, I'm gonna go a little bit deeper with you guys. Gotta put your thinking caps on. You ready to do this? Yeah? All right, put it on. There you go. Good, Mike, that's good. All right. And I'm gonna give you three principles, and you could call them interpretive principles or lenses that, that help us I know we're not slowing down during our reading of Immerse. We're just pushing through, pushing through. Great challenge to me. I'd like to slow down, but we keep reading, keep reading. But three principles as you wrestle with some of the details of what Paul says, these three principles have really helped me, has served me to wrestle deeply with some of the revelation of scripture, especially through Paul. And we're gonna turn to a passage in Galatians chapter three, if you would turn there with me. And this is somewhat of a, a, a gateway passage where we can, oftentimes there's some key passages where Paul pulls back and we can look through this gateway passage and understand some of the finer details. And in fact, I'm hoping that for many of us will recognize really the brilliance of Paul, the astounding revelation that's a, that's a so much, we say, that has to be the spirit of God in Paul, especially as we understand his context, his culture, the time in which he spoke, wow, we look at that. Galatians 3 is one of those passages of scripture. We're gonna be starting in verse 26, and he is arguing, again, last week we were in Acts 15, and he was saying, no, 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 you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to take the yoke of the law of Moses upon you to be saved, that you can, it's just by faith. For Abraham, it was by faith. For us all, it's by faith. The Greek men did, do not need to be circumcised, all right? He's arguing this, and the book of Galatians really carries and live, um, this argument against the need of circumcision. And at a climactic moment in the letter, he says this, verse 26, chapter three. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, not by works, not by circumcision, not by the law, none of that. It's just through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. He's using this analogy like we put on clothes. You have clothed, if you've been baptized in Christ, 
Through faith, you've been clothed with Christ. There is, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These statements right here, these few phrases of Paul, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, they are astounding in how radical they were. Each statement, these three phrases are radical, must have been radical to the ears especially of Paul's first century listeners, that they're, what, no wonder the other, other apostles were going, what, wait, say that again, Paul. What, what do you mean? What's the significance of this? Think about these words for a moment from a perspective of identity. We've been talking a little bit about that the last couple of weeks, how we define ourselves. We, we, we define ourselves oftentimes with our ethnicity, our social status, our gender. When we look in the mirror, we see all of those things. And Paul is saying, do you know that this ra radical gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ supersedes all of that? All of those ways that you understand and define yourself the gospel, this good news supersedes, overrides. When you look in the mirror, you should see yourself clothed in Christ Jesus through faith, first and foremost, beyond all of those things. And not only that, if you think about the ways, not just identity, but you think about the ways that we divide ourselves that we define ourselves, who we are versus others, the boundaries that we put around ourselves, whether ethically or socially or ethnically, gender-wise. He's saying, don't you realize all those boundaries and those divisions? The gospel of Jesus Christ, it obliterates all of that. It takes that away. The ground is level at the cross of Jesus Christ. All of those boundaries that we try and put in and the people around us try and, and they define it. No, Paul is saying, don't you get it? All of those boundaries are removed and wiped away. It is a radical gospel. Now let's take each of these phrases and, and think about these Deeply, think first and foremost about when he says there either there's neither Jew nor Gentile. For Paul to make that statement, he is the Jew of all Jews. He he was raised Jewish. He studied the rabbis. He walked and breathed and understood at the core of who he was was his Jewish heritage and all that he carried. If you think about this, what Paul is proclaiming, he's talking about this radical blessing, this radical inheritance, this radical promise. You, you see, the Jews... Rightly so, saw themselves as the chosen people of God. And what that means is that of all the nations, of all the tribes, of all the, the people on the face of this earth, God said, I choose you. 
to the Jewish nation. He said, you will be mine and I will be your God. And God then bestows on them all the blessing, the covenant of intimate relationship that the Jews, as the children of God, got to walk intimately with God. That he gave them the truth through the law and revelation of God. He, he poured out his love, his grace, his kindness, his protection. He gave them the promise of eternity. Do it this way and we will walk together for all eternity. The Jews understood themselves as the children of God or the cat's meow. They saw themselves as the cat's meow. Paul is at the center of that understanding and tradition. And for him to say, you know what, that doesn't matter. That's obliterated. Can you imagine the, the Jews of his day going, what? Let's stone that guy because no way. What Paul is saying is don't you realize that because of Jesus Christ, he has opened all of his inheritance, all his blessing, all his favor and goodness. You get to walk. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter uh, your race, your ethnicity. It does not matter that these promises and blessings of God are available to you through Jesus Christ, through faith. Amen? Yes. He says, come in, come in. I was watching an interview done it was a horrible interview. Not the quality of the interview, but the testimony that was being said. It was, the interviewer was an ethnic minority. And she was interviewing a couple that represented a white supremacy group. And the, 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 the really brokenness and filth and disgust that was coming, talking about mongrels and superiority, and it just... Uh, it was stirring. I could barely hang in there. And uh, God bless the interviewer. She hung in there. And she said, so you guys are a racist group. And they said, no, we're not racist. I was like, what? She said, so you're, you're a hate group, right? No, I don't hate anybody. And she's like, well, then how do you define yourself? And I'm like, oh, no, please don't. You know how they define themselves? A Christian group. A Christian group. And then the guy went on to quote two scriptures. Of course, they didn't mean even close to what he said they were meaning. And, and I was so saddened. They're justifying their racist and bigoted views based on scripture. Haven't you ever read some of these profound truths from Jesus, from Paul, all through Scripture? You know, growing up, I heard arguments to reject the Bible because it promotes racism. I have to say that is not true. This leads me to one interpretive principle from Paul is you always begin with Paul's grand story. You always begin 
You, you understand some of these things that you would wrestle with with some of these details is you say, what, how did Paul understand the story of God? How did God, Paul understand what was happening in terms of history and what God was doing and God's heart? What are those passages of scripture that really reflect? They're not dealing with the details of something, but he's pulling back like in Galatians 3 and going, do you see it? Do you see the radical nature of the gospel, the, the radical inheritance and equality and liberty that this represents? Romans 8 is another one of those passages of scripture where, where Paul pulls back and he says this, for we know that all of creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present day. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from the sin and suffering. There's a, I bring this up oftentimes to help us get a mindset. Can we go to that picture of the four circles? This is the story of the kingdom. This is the grand sweep of history from a, a biblical perspective that Paul would argue that we were created, the heart of God in creation, the Garden of Eden, all was good, all was loving, and we were walking with God. But he gave us free will, and we chose, and we rebelled, and we fell. But he would not leave us there. And when we fell, that cursed all of creation. Those hurricanes that are happening, that's part of the curse. That's part of our groaning. Is that the heart of God? No. That's part of the curse. God does not delight in that. And he would not leave us in that broken place, so he sent Jesus Christ, and we get to experience redemption. Did you see that in Romans, a foretaste of future glory? We get the presence and power of the living God in our hearts and souls. We get to taste that, not fully yet, not full yet, but, but we get to taste and walk in that. And someday, Jesus will come back and restore all things. All will be made right. All this pain and suffering that we're struggling in right now, now, all will be made whole. Paul brings that in there. Now, if you think of that picture, where do we fit racism and bigotry in there? Was there racism in the garden? No. no. Look at your neighbor and say, no racism in the garden. All right. When Jesus comes back again, we need to get this. When Jesus comes back again a second time, right? And he restores all things and all, will there be any bigotry in heaven and on this earth? No. Say it louder. No. no, none of that. So where is racism and bigotry? It's in the fall. We're there. So that leads us to, to stand against those statements. That, that leads us to say, no, that's not God's heart. No, what are you talking about? Superiority and all that? No, blah, don't you know there's neither Jew nor Gentile? And it doesn't matter what kind of Gentile you are, right? Black, white, brown, doesn't matter. The, the ground is level at the cross. And so friends, here's what we do. That as part of our calling, as people of the gospel, living that out, so we lend our voices 
against hatred, against bigotry, against racism. Amen? And for diversity and a celebration of that. That's that kingdom principle. We bring that, wow, this radical gospel calls us to a radical life of opposition to all those things that are part of the fall that will be made right in this world. Now, a little bit of a, a note that I thought was a beautiful note from our friend, uh, Pastor Ben Brooks. After Charlottesville, Virginia, and the, the racism that was taking center stage, there's a number of people on Facebook that were saying, you know, they were speaking out against it. And, uh, and they were saying, we are one race. We are colorblind, all those things. And uh, I thought Ben did this beautiful job where he thanked people for lending their voice against racism and bigotry. And he said this, but I don't think we're called to be colorblind. He said, my son, Benyam, is black and I love that he's black. I see his color. I see his face. I see his Ethiopian ethnicity in him. I celebrate all that he is. And I'm white. And I'm proud of the family that I come from. My ancestral heritage is not perfect, but it's part of who I am. God is teaching me how to love all of who I am. Not to despise any part. But God created people, male and female. He created them black and Asian and Hispanic, Native American and Arab and Persian and white. He created them in the image of God. He created them. If we're colorblind, then we're blinding ourselves to the image of God. So that's why I said in the truth that we live by, we celebrate diversity we celebrate. He doesn't obliterate diversity. And we get to celebrate that in one another and in ourselves. And at the same, times, same time, oppose bigotry and hatred and racism. Do you understand what I'm saying there? All right. Second principle from a phrase from Galatians, Paul not only said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but he said, now think how radical this is, there is neither slave nor free. Again, Paul is making a statement in, the, in his context, slavery was just within the fabric of society. It was just there in every culture, in every context. For Paul to make that statement in his time period would have been mind-boggling because what Paul is talking about is the radical nature of liberation. That we don't define ourselves now first and foremost from our social identity, our standing in society, no. But, but we are clothed with Christ and he is, uh, supersedes all of those things. Again, the ground at the cross is level not just in terms of our ethnicity or race, but in terms of our social standing. It does not matter who our parents were. It does not matter our bank account. It does not matter whether we're wealthy or poor or free or slave. In Christ, 
We are equal and liberated from all those things that would bind and hold us back. Growing up, I heard a rejection of the Bible because it promotes slavery, specifically Paul. And I had to wrestle with those passages of scripture. To understand Paul, I think here's another crucial principle. I tried to word this in a way that was understandable. Stay with me. Earthly liberation is important. Eternal liberation is paramount. I read that again. So again, understanding Paul. Earthly liberation is important. Eternal liberation is paramount. Listen to one of the uh, verses that Paul is talking about slavery. What people said, see, he's promoting slavery because he speaks to slaves about their lives and he doesn't immediately go, get free, don't you understand? Break off those chains, all that. He doesn't say that. He says, slaves must obey their masters. And do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. Listen to this phrase. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to a few people. Well, slaves, you got it, but slave owners, you're dirty and disgusting. Grace of God is not for you. What's Paul's biggest concern? The souls of the slave owners. There is a free cup of coffee, all right? He is talking about, yes, does he care about the liberation of the slaves? Absolutely. Does he care about liberations in every sense of the word? He's saying the radical nature of the gospel is freedom and liberation. But first and foremost, he cares about the spiritual liberation, the eternal liberation, and he allows that to supersede the earthly, though he's concerned, though he realized fully the significance of this radical gospel of Jesus Christ, but that internal liberation is what he is after. And he's saying, slaves, don't you realize that how you live your life, you can live your life in such a way that adorns, that's the old King James version, adorn, your life can adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a powerful way that those, your owners, those slave owners, they can see the grace of Jesus in you. So apply that to different circumstances. Last week we were talking about Acts 15. And he wins the argument. Paul and Barnabas win the argument with the other apostles in the early church. And they say, okay, the Gentiles, they do not need to be circumcised in order to follow Christ in this new way. And then in verse 16, or chapter 16, right after chapter 15, right? Chapter 16, he finds Timothy, and listen to what he does with Timothy. It says, I think we have this on there. Uh, Yes, Acts 16.3. Paul wanted to take him along, Timothy, on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. What? 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 Did I read that right? Can, can you imagine the, the, the conversation between Timothy and Paul? 
Timothy, I think it's time, you know. What? what? <laughs> Paul, you just had the Jerusalem council. You just argued that I didn't need to be circumcised. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, Timothy, for the love of the Jews, to reach them for salvation, I think you should be circumcised. I got to imagine Timothy was like, wait, wait, go over that again. I, I really? Now in defense of Paul, listen to what he says about himself. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all. He's so passionate about this radical gospel of Jesus Christ that he says, I, I don't care what it is. I would become a slave to all to bring many, see his intention, see his heart, many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew under the yoke of Jew, that old one that he is free from, give it back. If it means reaching some Jews for Christ Jesus, give it back. Among the Gentiles, free from all those things, but he lives as a Gentile. You see his heart. Here's the truth I think that we live by. We become advocates of spiritual liberation and physical liberation. We become advocates of salvation and justice. And we never let our advocacy for physical liberation diminish the message of the radical liberation that happens of the heart and soul in relation to Jesus Christ. Do you understand? We never allow our advocacy for the, the physical liberation to diminish our message for the spiritual liberation. I was thinking about our missionaries. We, Josh prayed for our missionaries this morning, Albino and Sandy Rodriguez. You've heard uh, of their ministry. It's such a beautiful ministry, House of the Master Teacher. La Quesa, uh, I'm going to mess it up. La, Quesa, La Casa de Mel Maestro. Boy, I am white speaking on the, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> the house of the master teacher. That's what it is. It's called the house of the master teacher. Uh, Cusco, Peru. And so they've got this beautiful ministry uh, of, the, of the kids that are coming in from the rural parts of uh, surrounding Peru. And, uh, and, and they're ministering to them. They're keeping them out of the dangers uh, of that. They're, they're praying with them. They're, they're, they have some residents in the house and then when our mission team came and shared about not only the, this, this beautiful ministry that was making a profound internal difference for Christ in the lives of these kids, but then when they shared that they, they were a part of how God used to keep one gale away from the sex trade and slavery, I thought, they're doing it right. They are advocate, advocates of liberation in every sense of the world. They're living, they're advocates, they're fighting for, they're contending for the liberation of all things. Still with me? You didn't take the cap off, did you? No. Put it back on, one more, one more. 
Very important one. Paul says that there's neither male nor female. Can you imagine Paul making this statement in in the first century context? Paul is making a statement about gender. I mean, the very foundation and fabric. And he's saying, don't you realize how radical the message is in terms of gender, male and female? Paul must have been divinely inspired. He must have seen this. Was Paul an advocate for women? You gotta say yes based on this. You gotta say yes that he was, he was fighting for this. This is the third principle that relates to the first two and it's this, as we understand that oftentimes, especially the more difficult passages that we read and come across and wrestle, that oftentimes, if it seems like it's not working with these grand statements, it's probably because there's a particular situation, there's a particular context or issue that he is addressing. Context, context, context. Look at your neighbor and go, context, context, context. Again, context is so important. All right, let me ask you this. Now, would you be upset with me if I walked up behind my wife, Kendra, grabbed her by the head of the hair and pulled her back by about three feet. Would you be upset? Do you think Kendra would be upset? What if she was about to step and cross the street and a a car that she didn't see was speeding past and she was about to step right in the pathway of that car? Would you still be upset with me? Why not? Context, context, context. So when you look at these phrases of Paul, especially the ones you're like, what in the world is Paul talking about? I thought there's neither male nor female. You understand, is this a circumstance? What's the context that this phrase is found? You understand? Now, one of these verses that could be difficult, you might have read in Immerse as we're reading. Women should be silent. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Women should be silent during church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. I think Beth told me this is her life verse. She's like, put it on a little note card on her mirror. Is that right, Beth? Did I remember that correctly? (laughs) All right, no. Doesn't that reek of context? Doesn't that reek of there is something going on in this context of Corinthians and he's speaking into this particular issue. What? Women should be silent. In fact, even in the context of this one letter, 1 Corinthians, earlier in 1 Corinthians, he says this about women. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. Uh, For this is the same as shaving her head. Now, if she's praying or prophesying, is she speaking in church? Yes. Yes. 
I thought Paul said where the women are supposed to be silent in church. See, we got that, right? Do you, do you see? My point is this. Is this a situation where there's a car speeding across and Paul is doing an action? What, what's the context? Because even within the same letter, are these meant to be universal truths? Are these gateway passages? No. There's a family, um, a number of issues, wonderful family, but struggling with some particular issues about church and understanding. One of those issues was the ordination of women in, in uh, especially ordinating, we have, we have women as elders and some church bodies are opposed to that or women as pastors. And God bless them. Their background was they had no women pastor or elders and they were wrestling and wanted to talk about that. I said, let's talk about that. And actually, I went back to the grand narrative. I went to the story of Genesis 3.16. And I talked about, if you go back to those four circles real quick in your mind, leave that Genesis 3.16. Oh, okay. So you've got creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And then we went to 3.16 in Genesis. And it says this. Then he said to the women, this is part of the curse, part of the rebellion, part of the fall. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you, your desire, it's, uh, it's throwing me off, it's not NIV, will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Is that part of creation or part of the fall? So does that part reflect the heart of God? We went to Joel 2.28. Joel 2 is talking about um, the time we live in now, the time of redemption, the grace of God. And he says this, and afterward, after the Messiah and the day of the Lord where we live today, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Remember, prophesy. That's no small thing. That was divine revelation today, not on the same level of scripture, but that was the mouthpiece. He says, in that day, not just men, but women will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, on slaves. It doesn't matter who you are, what the color of your skin, the amount of your bank account. It doesn't matter male or female. I'll pour out my spirit and you'll do the work of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Oh, I'm going to read that. Men and women alike. Do you see it? Do you, do you see? I hope you hear how Paul is advocating, pressing in. Now, there, there's different instances. And for a lot, I, I spent so much time focusing on the detail and going, I don't get it. I don't know if I can accept it. And I've missed these other interpretive principles. And I've said, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't hear a message 
this radical, this transforming, this life-giving, anywhere else on the face of this earth. It's got to be you. And help me understand the details. Help me to be an advocate for how amazing and transformational and radical this gospel truly is. Can we take a, a moment to pray together? How do we respond? How do we respond? I felt led that corporately we would pray for this broken world. There's so much hate, so much racism, there's so much prejudice. And sometimes it's done in the name of the Christian faith. Oh, we, we have to elevate our voices and our lives in this broken world. But before we pray for the world, I also have the sense that we always have to pray in deep humility because brokenness begins here, right? And there's times that I'm gonna miss it. At every level of these phrases, I'm gonna miss it. So can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning. And we in no way want to point out the specks of dust in the world's eye and not see the large plank of wood, the two by four in our own eyes. And so, Lord, would you forgive us if there is any way that we have lived from a perspective of bigotry or racism, would you forgive us? Lord Jesus, have mercy on us sinners. Would you pray that with me? Lord Jesus, have mercy on us sinners. Lord, in any way that we have reflected a gospel that was shallow and incomplete, that was hurtful to others, would you forgive us, Lord Jesus? Have mercy on us, sinners. Pray that with me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, sinners. Lord, in any way 
that we have not promoted liberty in every sense of the word. Liberty of soul uh, and physical, Lord. If there's any way that our words, our actions, our perspectives have promoted bondage rather than liberty, Lord, please forgive us. Pray with me, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us sinners. And Lord, if there is any way that our voices have not joined equality, that we have not been advocates for others, would you forgive us? We pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, sinners. And Lord, we pray for our broken world. Lord, at every turn, we hear hate, we see hate, sometimes just simply done in brokenness, sometimes done in the name of religion, sometimes done in the name of Christianity. Lord, we see it and our heart weeps, Lord God. Lord, would we be advocates for the true gospel, the radical gospel, Lord, would our lives, would we not sin? Would we not diminish your name? Would we not take away the glory that is due your name? But would we be advocates? Would our voices, would our mouths, would our lives, Lord, on social media, would, would we seek to honor you in every way? Lord, would this radical gospel be heard from every nook and corner of our lives and your church. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.